But there's one good one that was really good. It's Warren Barton sent apart and said, we can Yes. <laughs> Warren Barton sent apart in la 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 la. Come on. Warren Barton sent apart in la 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 la. One more time. Warren Barton sent apart in la 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 la. Stop. Bleeding racist was on the 9th of June, 1862 on a summer's afternoon. I took the bus to Bamberg's and she was heavy laden. The way we went along Collingwood Street, that's on the road to bleeding. So uh, we're going to start by talking about a 2-0 win against Huddersfield Town. Yes. That's it. Honestly, just yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, all right. So um, obviously doesn't need much of an introduction, but I do have to know with Terry Henry and Giggs and Kevin Phillips and Jim, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank and all those guys, how do you get your pants on with all of them in your pocket? <laughs> well, there's plenty of room. <laughs> plenty of room in there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, <laughs> um, so times have changed a little bit for Newcastle United um, from when you were there. Uh, one owner being the biggest catapult, but today we got a win. Uh, important win. We're in 14th place in case anybody's checked the table. No differential? A lot. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Very good. A lot. Uh, Cardiff decided to help us out by losing by four goals yesterday. So thank you, Carter. All right. So a um, couple, we're going to make this interactive too. So I want people to give me three words to describe the match today. What we have? Overrun. Orgasmic. That, that's relief. Three words. Three words. Al- Almiron orgasmic relief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Almiron orgasmic relief. Okay. Warren, do you have three? We'll pass it around. Very, very good. <laughs> Clean sheet. Yeah. Two goals. Yeah. Good debut. It was, uh, it was a good, solid performance. My three words are, by the way, I'm Elijah. Uh, this silky smooth voice can be found <laughs> every single week we release CHU Radio. Um, my, uh, my three words are going to be, we told you so. Wait, no, we told you. I'm bad <laughs> at the three words thing. Just saying, three months ago, people were asking us. I don't think anybody said deal. three words yet. Like, they said, is he the real deal? And I said, yes. And people were doubting us. Yeah. How it is. Yeah. So... Let, we're going to be passed around the mic here. but So let's talk about Amaron. Uh, what did we see today? So I, one of the things that I noticed is just every time the ball was in the midfield, it seems they were getting the ball to him. Uh, what does that say to you as a former player? Like just it's his first full debut. What do you, how do you kind of attribute that? Like he was, get, he was on the ball everywhere. He was tracking back. But it seemed like when the ball was picked up, they, they wanted to get it to him. Yeah, I can only go back for my debut. I mean, he would have had a lot of nerves, although he's had a bit of a training uh, exercise in Spain and obviously had a brief appearance as a sub against Wolves uh, coming on, which was definitely a foul on the goalkeeper, so he should have had three points there. Uh, but his performance was good. And I think by your question, why did everybody try and find him? I think the signs have been good in training. He's obviously done well. 
Uh, we know, because we know in the States that he's been playing for Atlanta, he's won the MLS Cup, he's a winner. We've seen him come through in the last two years and be comfortable on the ball. Uh, he's got a sweet left foot, very energetic, very passionate when he gets the ball. He's very positive as well. So there was lots and lots of good signs. Um, but by him getting the ball a lot, the majority of the time, shows there's a lot of respect from the players. What would have topped it all was his little chip that hit the post to, to get the goal, uh, which I think his performance deserved. But I think you could tell by the fans' reaction when he got substituted in the 79th, yeah, 80th was... minute. They were standing in ovation. So that tells you a little about it. Now what's going to be a challenge for him is the third game, the fourth game, the fifth game, where the expectations are going to be high. All, with all due respect, it was Huddersfield. It could have been 3 or 4 nil at least by half-time. But his performance was good. He excites players. He wants to get on the ball. He wants to express himself. And that's what the Newcastle fans want. They want players that are brave, go forward, try and score goals or create uh, opportunities, which they did in abundance today. Yeah, I think I, I just add in, um, I think the thing that stood out to me the most, the thing I was most excited about is just his work rate. He's up and down the pitch. Every 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 minute he was on the pitch, he was sprinting as hard as he can. Oh, they got music for me. Music for me. Um, every, every minute he was on the pitch, he was, he was sprinting up and down, back and forth, tracking back, as Greg was saying. It's just, that's that's some of the underrated stuff that, you know, a lot of Newcastle fans value. That's why Richie's so beloved. That's why Rondon's so beloved. It's, it's that work rate, putting in that extra shift. I love that. All right, and first goal, Rondon. Can we get a Rondon chant? Let's get ready to Rondon. Yeah, I knew Let's he was going to. Let's Rondon. Yeah, that was, that was a beaut. I don't even think he knew there was a ball there, but he was just swinging anyway. He's like, it's going to come close. So I'm going to just crack this one in. And it was about damn time, right? Yes. I mean, and, and such a what a positive impact, too. It's right, right at the second half. We're up one one nothing, And uh, Rondon gets... He has now half the goals Huddersfield have all season. So that's a, that's a nice stat for you. Seven. Um, Which is ball, not a lot. Ball, <laughs> thoughts on that? On the goal? I, I like Rondon. I think he's, he's, his physical presence is good. His hold-up play is good. He, what worries me sometimes, he, he needs three or four chances uh, to get one. And he had a wonderful chance earlier on with a header. Uh, hit the target, which was well saved. But he's a try. You know, he, he's a hard worker. He's an honest player. He's coming to a team now, I think they will create more chances for him, particularly at home, I like to see us a little bit more positive in the early moments of the game. But uh, I like him, you know, he's just big, strong number nine. Is he going to get you the Shearer goals, 20 goals? No, but he might end up being enough to get you 12, 13 goals as long as the others chip in as well. But he could have quite, he could have quite easily had a hat-trick today. Yeah. Um, but it's good that he gets on the score sheet again, he gets another goal, he's got more, as you said, as many goals as Huddersfield. But there's, there's still more to come. You know, I think he's got to be a bit more prolific. He's got to be a bit more mobile. But, um, you know, definitely good signs of him playing. Yeah. I think something that was promising was uh, you could tell that Amarod and, and Rondon were trying to find each other. And that's going to be some fun chemistry to watch. And there's already been a Paraguay and Venezuela connection that worked out really well in MLS. So I'm hoping it works out well for Newcastle. Hopefully this results in some more goals. All right, and second goal. So if, if you have, haven't listened to this podcast before, I, I'm known as the Isaac Perez hater. Um, so he proved me wrong once again. Um, yeah. Uh, so Perez, we'll, we'll call him one-touch Perez now. So yeah. I, I'm telling him he can't, can't take two touches because he'll lose the ball. But one touch, we got goals, baby. Yeah. We got goals. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he, you're on it today. I gotta give you a round of applause for that one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I gotta give I gotta give him credit. It, you know, my my I guess the reason why I kind of 
I guess, bash him, is he just loses. Tell, tell the truth, you're jealous about his hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, if y'all, I wear the hat, but See? you got a little something uh, bald spot happening got here. Magnificent hair. Yeah. That's, yeah. It doesn't move. It, it, is it wax? Do we think wax is. I think, I think it's been ironed on. I think it's ironed on. Ironed, yeah. <laughs> that could be it. That could, that could be, be it. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who do you think irons his hair? Uh, Rodan with Ironies here. He looks like a good teammate for the Ironies here. Now, yeah. Chris does, does well. I, I understand where you're coming from. Sometimes he, he flatters to deceive, and I'm not sure about his mobility. But I, I think at, at home, especially, you need more creative players. Um, Rafa buys into him. He understands his work, like you said about you know the, what he likes about certain players. Um, again, another player. I think what identifies good players is that with confidence and belief, they become very good players. And we see that towards the end of last season when he had a bit more confidence, a bit more belief. Hopefully this result today, result against Man City, a new sign-in, a lot more uh, confidence in the team. They've had a little winter break to go away and recharge the batteries. Hopefully we'll see a better player uh, because, as I said, average players become good players, good players become very good players. And he's in that bracket where he become a, a very good player for the team and to go forward. It's the first time, really, the Rafa's had a full selection of teams. Now, Kennedy's coming off the bench where, you know, four or five months ago, he was going to be the saving grace. So we've got healthy competition now for places. Yeah, yeah and on Perez, um, I, I, I don't hate him as much as Greg, but we, <laughs> we, we share a similar sentiment. And, you know, it has to be said, he did have, I mean, there and granted, Newcastle had plenty of chances to score. They hit the post. Billion times, player of the Scott, match. Yeah, player of the match is the post. He, yeah, a bunch of saves. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, and Perez, yeah, he had one of those where up until that point we were all really frustrated. The whole bar, you guys were all there. He missed some easy ones, missed some tap ins, and you're like, oh my gosh, if we don't score, it's because Jose Perez did not convert <laughs> this chance. I will murder him. And and so that didn't happen. He converted. I'm, I'm happy for him. But yeah, yeah. I, I like I I'm confident that Jose is a great Jose player. It's so. only good, right? Yeah. All right, and uh, the last thing I want to mention about this match is my sweet prince, Sean Longstaff. That he's he's the man, huh? So I I watch him. So I I streamed his matches when he was at Blackpool uh, on loan, and he had he had eight goals that season. Seven of them for, were from outside the box, and he almost put that first one in today. That curler, and I, it's almost like he could. And he had a cross in that had a crazy trajectory, too. It's like he puts the ball on the string and kind of pulls it away from the keeper when he needs to. Uh, it's crazy the amount of control and composure that he has. Um, he is the only player to dribble past Virgil van Dijk this season. That's And he did that in his debut. Um, and then he, he just – today, again, for me, he seemed like he was a man amongst boys against a bad side. But it's in the Prem, and he's doing it on a regular basis now. Uh, thoughts on – him, local lad, Sean Longstaff. Very, very good. Um, someone said earlier, you know, very much like Michael Carrick, you know, local boy. Uh, as same, I always think a good player is they make the game look easy and simple. Yeah. And for a young player, he does do that. You know, I think it was his fifth or sixth appearance this season to come through after his loan spell that he had at, at Blackpool. Um, sees a simple pass. You know, I think we get caught up sometimes as fans and as analysts. You always got to do something special, but he never. He kept the ball moving. He kept it simple. He was unfortunate with the the shot that hit the crossbar uh, and post. Wonderful ball into Rodan. I think he, with Rafa Benitez, he realizes he's got a special player, and it's about time really. The yeah. academy have brought some players through. You know, there's a hot bit of area up there when you you look to the likes of, as I said, Michael Carrick that was there. Alan Shearer had to go down to Southampton. You know, it's a long time since we've had a, a top class uh, local boy coming through the ranks. 
All signs are good. Um, speaking to people at the club, he trains well. He understands the club, um, and he's got from strength to strength. I mean, another compliment was Pep uh, speaking yeah. so highly about him. Uh, but I always go back, as I said, when when people make the game look simple, uh, and he makes it look easy and effortless. So uh, hopefully, he's got a bright future because we need someone like that, that, particularly at home, that can screen the back two or three and keep the game nice and simple and pass it around and go forward when it needs to. I like it. I think he's got a big future ahead of him. One question for you. Do you think, what's the best midfield pairing that you think, like, I know we haven't seen a lot more, like, if you had to put Longstaff in, who would you want to see next to him in, on Newcastle's side? Probably at home would be someone like John Joe Shelby who yeah. can get around the field. I always think with John Joe, just got to be, be mature, understand that you don't want to keep fighting and kicking. It's tedious, it's boring. Yeah. He's a better player than doing that. So I think if we can get him fit, he finds a pass, he's a bit more energetic, and then you look at the front three and one uh, going forward, uh, I think you've got a good chance. But yeah, that, that would be my parent because I think they complement each other. Yeah. But you know Rafa likes to have two holding midfield players, but I don't think you need to have that at home. Yeah. I'll just, I'll get into moving on from Longstaff. Um, of course, we do man of the match and yeah. our worst player. Uh, so we'll start with man of the match. Um, man of the match for me, oof, this one's a toughie. Um, I'm obviously biased. So I'm going to go Miguel Amarone. Um, I thought he was a great debut uh, up and down the pitch. Like I said, the work rate was unreal. Created a fair few chances. Uh, six chances, I believe, is, a, is the official number. And we wow. were joking. And um, and it's it's no knock on Iose. It's just he's not a number 10. He's playing in a number. He was playing in a number 10 role. But I feel like Miguel created more chances than we saw Iose create throughout the season. And obviously that's a bit of a drastic uh, statement. But um, the point is, Miguel played a great game, and he, he should have scored. That, that first that first goal, right past the defender, and chips the keeper, hits the post, and what, that would have broke Twitter, and broke St. <laughs> James would have crumbled. Yeah. Like, it was it was the loudest roar I've ever heard uh, this season. So, um, yeah, that's my man of the match. What about you, Warren? Yeah, I would go the same. I think when you put into yeah, the situation, his home debut, pressure's on him, record signing, uh, always wanted the ball. I think there was a lots of good performances. I think the back three looked nice and solid. Uh, we spoke about the boy in midfield as well, but yeah, he would be someone that when he gets the ball, and Newcastle fans that you've been used to have it, he excites you. You start sitting forward waiting for, and yeah. McGee uh, does that when he gets on the ball. I'm trying to think of somebody else Perez. that I would rather pick. Perez, you like Perez? Yeah, I was no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's Sean, go. Sean. Yeah, I, I was going to say Longstaff just because I love him to death. Um, so I'll say, and we usually do worst player, but so what? Before we go there, what's what do you say? Who's the, who's the man of the match in your opinion? Just shout it out. Longstaff. 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 Hayden. Hayden. Why Hayden? Yeah. The post. The post. The post. Yeah. All right. All right. The post is a good one. It really, it really came through today. Yes. For the wrong side, though. <laughs> oh, the yeah, the ref. The ref got to give a shout out. Hey, when's the last time we had the player sent off at home? 2013. Yeah, that's right. That's... What on Stato? Fire this man. All right. And anybody have a worse player? I, I could. I couldn't think of one no, today. Yeah, Dubrovka because he did nothing. I'll say something. I feel like people do not understand. And if, there, if you've talked to Greg this weekend, I think you've gotten the, the, the idea. But but Greg 
is obsessed with Sean Longstaff, and I cannot st- like when it we, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it more is. than a man crush, oh, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's an unnatural obsession, and it, and it dates back to when Greg first joined our site, coming to Newcastle what, like two three years ago. Yeah, and he was covering the youth team, and he's like, "Guys, this Longstaff kid's the real deal." And we're like, "Who cares? Like, we're trying to we're trying to like not get relegated. Like, stop talking about the youth team." And like day in day out, and then beginning of the season when we had certain injuries, he's like. Someone start long. We need to start long stuff. That was like the rallying cry of this podcast, as well as Iose is still bad. That was the other <laughs> that was one. The two, things. the two things we talked about. And then when he got his first started, it's just great to see um, a, a player come out of our academy, especially an academy that's yeah. been starved of talent um, in, in recent seasons. So shout out to Greg for being on top of long stuff. Uh, <laughs> Not literally, but figuratively. We'll start some questions. Well, we're gonna do here. Let me. Uh, we're gonna do a raffle first. Oh, first of two. Oh, yeah. uh, so we're gonna bring we're bring Josh up to do that, um, and then we're gonna get into some banter. Are they the best legs you've seen today, ladies and gentlemen? Hey! Look at that! All right, so we're gonna get into more uh, Warren Barton stuff for you. Um, so first question. So we we had a lot of people like comment on Reddit, Twitter, who wanted to ask some questions. So if you guys still want to, like, you just come up and ask more questions. I know we had a Q&A a little earlier, but being approached, you were at Wimbledon to start, mm-hmm. uh, being approached by Kevin, when you fi- finally found out that Newcastle was interested, uh, can you tell us about that story? And, and you grew up an Arsenal supporter, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and maybe, I could be wrong, but there's links between you and Arsenal and Newcastle. Yep. So talk us a little about getting approached by Kevin, and then why you chose Newcastle. Okay, well, I'd, um, in 94, 95 was a, a good season for myself. I was obviously being selected for England. Uh, Wimbledon was doing well, and there was a lot of speculation. Celtic, funny enough, were in, a, in an Irish part. They, they come in for me, Everton, Sheffield Wednesday, but uh, the owner, Sam, a man of Wimbledon at the time, didn't, didn't think the offer was good enough. I went to speak to David Dean at Arsenal, and it was just after Bruce Rioch had been sacked, uh, and they wasn't sure who was coming in, and uh, Hopefully it was going to be uh, Arsene Wenger, but I spoke to David and uh, all signs of I was going to go there. And then Kevin Keegan, it was the, in England you have the bank holiday Easter Monday. And David Newcastle was playing Blackburn, and Alan Shearer had scored for Blackburn against Newcastle, far post header against John Beresford. Keegan had spoken, Keegan, Kevin Keegan had spoken to my agent and said, we want to meet in London. Um, so it was a bank holiday Monday, they played on Sunday. We was meeting in the hotel, so I'm in the reception with my agent. Uh, Wimbledon agreed the fee of four million uh, plus add-ons if appearances and things over four and a half million pounds, which was a bargain, by the way. Um, and Keegan just come, Kevin Keegan, come down to me at the reception and said, "Look, come and join a big club." Um, four or five days beforehand, I'd spoken to David Dean. They was unsure uh, what they was going to do with the manager. Uh, Newcastle wanted me. Said, "Come and join a big club. We want you." We've been to see me play numerous times. We were signing uh, Les Ferdinand two days later. He was getting Ginola. They'd finished second or third the season before. Um, and it was a no-brainer, really. You know, Yes, I could have waited and seen what happened with Arsene Wenger, but that, that took some weeks. But when someone like Newcastle, particularly Kevin Keegan, and the squad of players, I've been around in the England set-up before. And I forgot to mention, someone, Barry Venison. I don't know, a lot of people would know who Barry was. Some may do, some don't. Uh, and he was with the England squad as well at the time. Uh, playing as a whole midfield player. And I was actually coming, if I was going to go to Newcastle, to come and take his position. And Barry was fantastic, played for Sunderland, but that's we won't hold that against him. Um, and he said to me, come and join Newcastle. It's a great club, they're doing special things. So John Hall was there, 
the stadium, the money that they're going to bring in with new players, uh, and the fan base. And so it was a no-brainer no, no when Kevin Keegan said that. And then I, I remember Wimbledon played, I think it was about February time, at St. James's Park, uh, and they won the game 1-0 or 2-0, uh, Newcastle against Wimbledon. And again, Robbie Earl was sitting in the uh, centre circle afterwards, just doing a cool game, just me and him as we used to. Saying, well, imagine playing for this lot. Imagine playing for it's St James's Park, the fan base. We went back to a hotel called the Gosford Park, where we used to the away team would stay. And a guy called Arthur Cox, who was a legend in Newcastle as a coach, he was standing there. And we sat down for about two hours talking about the game and about the club, and just that was in the back of my mind when I see Kevin Keegan at the hotel in London. Um, they was paying a record fee for a defender at the time. Yeah. Um, and the rest is history, you know. And I never look back. I never regret anything. It was decision I made um, and enjoyed every minute of it. You know, I was lucky enough to play over 200 games for them and captain the club, played for some wonderful managers and great fans. But it was a bit of a surreal time because I'm watching the game, watching Shearer score against Newcastle, then I get the phone, they want to meet me the next day and, and go through and everything was signed, sealed and delivered that day. We signed it the 1st of June um, and I was paraded out there as a, as a Newcastle player. So exciting wow. times. Years ago, it makes me feel old thinking about it, but it, it feels like yesterday. It was a great time. Yeah. Uh, you also own Sky Sports of Money. They come again. They <laughs> come back and get me. You, they, you owe a little bit. So uh, talk to us a little about that. And how much do you owe still? Is that has, you know, inflation? Inflation, you know, yeah. You yeah. I'm just trying to run for the tax man. Trying <laughs> try and get me. Um, it was a memorable game. It was uh, Newcastle-Liverpool. The first game, 4-3, uh, when uh, Stan Collymore scored at the far post. And then the next game. Next season, we was live on the Monday night. The entertainers was back on. This time, it was a totally different game because the, the first one was end-to-end, 1-1, 2-1, 2-2, 3-2. It went backwards and forwards. Liverpool was killing us 3-0, and it could have been 5-0. Um, and even I remember Kenny Dalglish never really lost his temper, but he, he went into us about how poor we was, how inadequate we was. And second half, we got back into it. Keith got a goal. I think Tino scored as well. David James had one of their moments where he'd come out and... We, we was back into it, and there was an 88th minute. Uh, I don't know what I was doing up there, but it was a long ball from Robbie Elliott. I won the first header, went into Tino. He stopped it on the ground. I just toe-parked it past uh, David James, right in front of the Newcastle fans. Yeah, I don't miss from three yards. So <laughs> yeah. I, I poked that the ball in the back of the net, and just pure excitement, because we were so, so bad the first half. And then to get back into the game and thinking we're going to get a point in front of my fans, there was a big old-fashioned... Uh, microphone that they had behind the goal that picked up all the noise and the, the language and I just kicked it my first thing I just volleyed it and kicked it and broke <laughs> it and snapped it in half and at the time it was £250 which in 96 was quite a bit of money so I probably have about $1,000 now but uh, I don't think Mr Murdoch needs it uh, he's got enough money as it is but it was uh, money that I owed Sky but just pure adrenaline I didn't really know what I was doing I just ended up kicking a microphone and, and everybody jumped on me but Robbie Fowler went back about 90 seconds later to cost it in. He scored, and ironically, it was 4-3 again. But it was a great moment for me to score the goal in front of the fans, and it's quite, as I said, quite a special time kicking the microphone. Probably better than my goal, actually. Made better contact with it and snapped it in half. So, <laughs> as I said, but don't let them know, because I probably have about $1,000. <laughs> and I've got a wife and three kids. I can't afford that. <laughs> That's all right, so I had a quick question for you. So recently, you know, on the anniversary of Sir Bobby Robson, you had some fantastic comments, which uh, I think we all read through the Chronicle and through the circulation. And I remember, um, sadly, I wasn't able to get it on the reel last night, but I would love to hear more about that 8-0. 
against Sheffield Wednesday because it sounded like that was really kind of a turning point. And you talked about sort of the freshness and that, that, that sort of newness in the article that you alluded to. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I don't like really going back too much, but uh, we played Sunderland on the night time and we got beat 2-1. Uh, and it was pouring down with rain. Rue Hollett, the great coach he was, thought it was a good idea to leave out Alan Shearer and Duncan Ferguson at home against Dunham, which no argument why he got, yeah, exactly, why he got the sack. Um, so we, we lost the game. They, they'd beaten us, which was very, very limited. They never normally beaten us. We'd always beaten the Mackhams and sent them backpacking and, uh, and won the game numerous times. But this time they got, uh, got ahead of us and uh, there's a lot of turmoil about it. And Rude Hoodie left. Um, it would be sexy football and, uh, and off he went. Um, Thursday morning we get a, a meeting with the chairman, uh, Freddie Shepherd, and so Bobby walks through the door. Uh, they've been after him for years when he was at Barcelona and tried to get him after Kenny Dalgleish, tried to get him after Kevin Keegan, but it just wasn't the right time. Uh, and so Bobby walked in Friday morning for training, always had a nice suit on, shirt and tie, got changed, was on the training field, and morale was low, but we knew with the players that we had, we, we could do well with the likes of Alan Shearer and Duncan Ferguson, Gary Speed, you, you've got a chance of winning games, so, yeah. and Rob Lee, so we knew we'd be okay in the long run. But Bobby come in, walked around, shook everybody's hand, and I just delightedly knew my name. Because Bobby, yeah. Bobby's thing is another story with the World Cup with uh, Sir Bobby Robson. He was with Brian Robson, the captain of England at the time. And they was both having breakfast. And Bobby went to Brian, Bobby, what are you having? So Brian went, no, I'm Brian, you're Bobby. So, <laughs> so Bobby wasn't great with names, but that was the only, uh, only thing. One team certainly had me as Warren. We played, uh, who did we play? I think it was Monaco or something. So, and Warren as left back. And Bartner's right back, so uh, I was pretty good, but I wasn't that good. But Bobby was great, he was, he was a different class. So he just got round to us and said, look, we're playing Leicester at home, we're playing in front of our fans, you're good players, go and beat him. It wasn't complicated, he didn't need to make it any complicated. That's why, you know, when you hear things on TV, analysts and coaches try and make it complicated. It, it wasn't complicated. We'll do this, this and this. Alan, I want you facing the goal. I've been watching you for the last 18 months with this sexy football, you keep coming short. Face the goal, son, you'll, you'll score goals. Okay, that'd be fine. Go through the game. Oh. Sheffield Wednesday, actually a good team. You know, people like Chris Waddle playing and you know, uh, people up front would cause you problems. One goal goes in. I think Gary scored. Second one goes in. Third one goes in. We're on the roll here. The place is going ballistic. You thought today was loud. It was going crazy. Bobby's there outside waving to all the fans. They're, they're going ballistic. They had a young boy called Paul Robinson, a local boy from Darlington, making his debut. He'd come on. Alan's got four goals now from Rude Hullet, said he can't score goals, he's better. So Bobby's got him facing the right way, scoring four goals. Back in rocket science, isn't it? <laughs> um, so he scored, ended up getting four goals. Five, to make it 7 0, Paul Robinson. Uh, all my family's here, you know, I'd love to score a goal. We're 7 0 up, 7 0 up with about, I don't know, eight minutes to go. Alan's got fuck off. Put it down. Five. Five, five goals he's got. We beat them 8 0. And the rest was history. And, and Bobby, again, just treated us like human beings. You know, Rude Hood, bless him. I, I like him. Tomo, the kit man, he ran me today. Whenever I see Tomo, I remind him this. We were having a bad time with, with Rude. It wasn't going well. We were good possession, but we was in a, that relegation area like we are at the moment. And that wasn't, that's more where we should be. And he said to Tomo, the kit man, go and clean my shoes. So I looked at Tomo and went, give me that. The gaffer, you can't ask him to clean your shoes. And that was the difference between... So Bobby would get there, put his feet up, clean his own shoes, how he would do. Rude Hullet would say, go and clean my shoes. I said, yeah, give me them shoes, I'll clean them. I said, yeah, Rude. 
Here's your shoes. Here's your shoes, right? And that was the difference, you know. Bobby would treat us like uh, man management, like proper players, treated the staff properly. There was a feel-good factor, and they said we won 8 0. That season, we ended up, I think, comfortably 8 9, whatever it was in the league, and then a couple of years later, we're back in the Champions League. Yeah. And all down to that man. All down to that man. So, um, Wales! Oh, no, Wales have just scored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Start with, you want to talk about Barcelona? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you want to talk about Barcelona? <laughs> if I have to. Yeah, okay. All right, well, you have to. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, the season with uh, Kenny Dalglish, we finished second, um, managed to get in the Champions League, was the first time, went into the knockout stages at the time, beat uh, Croatia's Zagreb, and we get the result that we need. Out of the hat, we get Barcelona, uh, PSV as well, that had people like Yakstan playing, so they was a talented team, and Dynamo Kiev, which is awkward, always going to be difficult to go to. Uh, Chevchenko, Redboff was playing there, so they had some cast players as well, so we're in the Champions League. So we get Barcelona home, it's the first one, and there's just... Just excitement building up, probably not even a week, two weeks beforehand. And I remember we used to park um, our cars down the side and walk along the pitch. And as we walked in there, all the Champions League signs were on the, the boards. And they was just rehearsing the theme of the Champions League. So we were walking into the, the locker room. And that kicks in. And that gives you that adrenaline, that buzz. Not only are you playing Barcelona, it's the Champions League. It's a night game, live on telly. 100 million people watching, you're playing against Figo and, and people like that, and Lewis Henry. so you're playing against the, the class, the, the best of the best at the time. And But we just had a, a real feel-good factor. We knew we had Keith Gillespie that was lightning quick. Um, Tino, being Tino, raised his game at home. We'd always say, don't play, don't bother playing Tino at Leicester and Stoke, he's useless. Play him at home against Chelsea, Arsenal, and it was magnificent. So he had that bit between his teeth. We had a the atmosphere, I remember the roar that we walked out and the atmosphere and the, the, the picture, you know, you always have to get as a team where Premier League games, you don't do that. You just shake everybody's hand, you get in your area, you kick around Champions League. You all have to get together as a team and have the team picture. So that's a little bit different. Tino's got his arm around the shoulder, so okay. obviously he likes me. Then he gets up getting a hat-trick and, and scoring that. It was a wonderful night. Uh, the excitement and it just shows you, you know, you're 20-odd years on, and we're, which is sad, but we're still talking about how special that was. Um and that's where the club needs to get back to. It needs to get back to playing against Barcelona. It needs to get back to competing in the Champions League. It, it seems a long way away, but it can be done. You look at Man City, what they've been able to do with resources. Chelsea, to an extent, you know, it's only the last 15 years they've started really competing at the highest level. So there's no reason why Newcastle. And that looks a long, long time, only beating Huddersfield 2-0. But we've got to get back to them time because it's a special, special place. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into some pranks. Um, what's it, that you can say? I know there's a few that you can. Um, what, who, who is the biggest prankster that you played with at Newcastle? And if you can name a few great ones that happened, uh, <laughs> not to put, the, put you on the spot, but that'd be a good story. Um, being a Yorkshireman, he was, David Batty was always up to no good, you know, he's yeah. always, um, playing and, and Gary Speed was his sidekick as well. He had that, Funny little laugh, Gary, and that. Um, I remember like people like Des Hamilton, a young boy that had come over from Bradford. We signed him, and he wasn't sure what's was going on. We put him in the changing room, and every now and again, we'd you know take some of his uh, clothes away, so like he wouldn't have no underwear, or he wouldn't have a t-shirt, or we we kept doing that. So that a little bit of uh, time we would do there. Uh, Shay Given, uh, as much as I like Shay Given, he had a, a problem with his his armpits. 
for sparring. Um, so we would put his shirt out in the players' lounge so all the wives and kids would walk in and we'd pin it up on the board and shade under his armpits would have these big sweat, <laughs> sweaty pits. Uh, Wimbledon was a little bit different because they would go that next stage further. We spoke to some people last night that if you got picked in your, your national team, something would happen to you. I got picked a couple of times, fortunately or unfortunately. The owner, no, I'm not talking about players or coaches, the owner would go up to your car and slash all your tyres. So you'd be getting in your car, you'd go out, drive along, and all the tyres would be slashed. We had a record signer, a guy called uh, John Hartson, a wonderful player for, for, for Wimbledon. Johnny at the time. Hartson. Yeah, Johnny Hartson, another taffy. I'm a Welshman. Um, we cut all his clothes up, and it was like a really nice suit and things like that, and we would burn some clothes. Never did anything to Vinny. Never did anything to Vinny, but we would do that. And sometimes we had... Um, with the kit man of Wimbledon, Derek Wright, actually someone knows him. We we would do a prank with Derek and Shearer would be one. Alan Shearer loved the prank. The I don't know whether you get it now, but it's like deep heat, so it's like a hot oil so you have, like a cream. And we used to put it in Derek's uh, underpants. And so you know, he would get in showered. He was a big boy, Derek. I mean a big boy, and I mean a big big Les was a big boy, this he's a big, big boy like this. Built big Derek. So he'd be quickly getting changed because we'd like to say that he's stomach or whatever, we make a little bit of fun, which is not nice, but we, we would do what we do. So he quickly put his underpants on, and by doing that, all the hot, deep heat would be on his, his nuts. And once it's on there, it takes a few hours to get off. So you can imagine he's having to walk around in the players' lounge, his nuts are on fire, literally on fire, by doing that. And a lot of it was down to Alan, and as I said, with Shane Given, and the more you bought into it, they, they would do it. With me, I, like they always knew that I loved my clothes or whatever, so they would do something to me. Yeah. Rob Lee, we couldn't do anything Rob Lee because he couldn't care less about how he looked. He wore the worst <laughs> clothes ever, so there's no point with Rob. So we used to leave him some like five pounds to go and get some stuff. He's the tightest man in the world, so you know there was Rob there. But uh, yeah, all little things to keep us entertained, keep us going. You now we're going away trips, and Gary would have his guitar and play Wonder World. That was the only one that he knew actually. But anyway, he kicked going over and like, oh, it's really after like two hours of that, giving yeah. the rest. But it was. Uh, it was a good time, and as I said, yeah. it was all part of it, and that's part of being in a team and having chemistry and spirit. Yeah, awesome. You have um, So, uh, are there any transfers that you know people may not know about that were really close for you that never got over the line? For me, going somewhere for me personally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Celtic um, coming for me. Uh, they sent. Funny, I suppose we going to Celtic when um, they was doing again. They was battling with Rangers as well, and I must have got about. 40, 50 letters from Rangers fans. And up there, if anyone knows, it's, it's religion, it's Catholic St. Positive. So I've got a load of letters from Rangers fans that like, if you go there, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. So I said to my agent, we'll, we'll give that one a miss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sheffield Wednesday uh, as well. I spoke to you about um, the, the Arsenal one uh, that was close. But one, Kevin Keegan had gone to, and my old coach was at Wimbledon, Ray Hartford, had gone to Blackburn the season that they won the league. He was there. Me and Robbie L, funny enough, again, Robbie was NBC. I was over at Robbie's house. We was watching a game. Uh, and we got a phone call. Get in the car. Get your agent. We're going up to Blackburn. So we're getting there. We're all excited. They've, they've sorted out a deal that we're going. Got up there. Just about got on the motorway. Got the phone call from the agent. No, they pulled out. They, they didn't want to go through with it. So pulled. So Blackburn was there. Um, and then afterwards, I had a chance maybe with Spurs when Jerry Francis was there at the tail end of my career. Spoke to Charlton, but then I went to Derby. But yeah, I was lucky. It was, you know, I think because of my reputation as a good professional, good leader in the locker rooms, the teams that needed, like Derby at the time, they needed someone to try and get a bit of a good feeling going. I ended up signing for three years there, uh, which I enjoyed. It was tough because they got relegated, but 
Um, yeah, I had a chance with Blackburn. We was already on the freeway going up there, but it didn't materialise. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, a few that were submitted by Trevor. He's the official questionnaire of CHM Radio. He's asked you a few before, but he wanted to know if you were created in FIFA based totally on your in, like your prime abilities, what would your rating be? Uh, so Yedlin, Yedlin's a 75, or actually 76. Kimmich is 85. What would you be in your, in your prime on FIFA? 99. <laughs> yeah, 101. <laughs> no, I think I'd be in between Kim. Yeah, so I'd be happy with you'll say Kim. It's was eighty-five. Eighty-five. Yeah, I'd, I'd be close to eighty-two. Yeah, eighty-two. Right. 82 yeah, I'd be happy with that. What's Carl Walker? What's he on that? Does anyone? Carl, no idea. Anyone? Well, whatever Carl is, don't forget I can cross it as well. So let's, let's maybe go yeah, mid eighties. Mid eighties. Mid eighties. Another one. Where uh, describe your love for Newcastle in three British words that Americans wouldn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> War. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just say, actually, that's a good way. What you wouldn't understand, Americans wouldn't understand. Yeah. Gordon Bennett. <laughs> Gordon Bennett. Looking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's good. Fantastic. Um, the accent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back when you had your luscious locks, best hair on the prem. Um, and Janola, Janola had good hair. Yeah. Uh, would you have shaved your head to look like John Joe Shelby if it meant you transferring to play for Barcelona? <laughs> if I was going to Barcelona, I wouldn't have to shave it. No, John's an ugly boy as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he has got a face a mother would love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't. No, I would have done it if it was Barcelona. But I was happy where I was. I love Newcastle. Why do you want to leave Newcastle and go to Barcelona? We just yeah. beat them 3-2. So we're all, yeah. I'm not taking and this young Messi, whatever he can do. What's he going to do in the game? Yeah. <laughs> Party. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, last one from him, and then Elijah has some Reddit questions. Uh, so this is Fantasy World time. Get ready. Uh, Ashley sold the club. Hey! Hey! So Ashley sold the club. The owner calls you up. The first thing he wants you to do is to open a pub right outside of St. James's. What do you call it? Monty's. I wouldn't do that because I've got two really good friends that own the strawberry, which is tradition. Oh. And then the black ball, which is Big Stevie Booger, who's my best one of my bestest friends from Newcastle. So I wouldn't do it. I'd go into Stevie and put new carpet in there because he's not had new carpet for about 40 years. I'd actually change the restroom because they haven't been washed for about 40 years. Uh, and maybe a little bit of wallpaper and some lights that work as well. And, and maybe some air freshener in there. But I, I wouldn't do it a lot because the black ball's got a certain odour about it the strawberries the strawberries so yeah, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't change that um, but no, no we had the number nine bar yeah, Shearer yeah. but again it was cold and boring <laughs> a bit like Alan <laughs> so that's why it went flat on its face so they say what the owner is so anyway yeah. Yeah, I'll keep it with Stevie Stevie's a, a great guy anyone that's ever you get the chance to go to Newcastle please go in the black ball it, the people have been drinking there for like 70 years it's the same glasses the same people the same beer pumps. It's a magnificent place. But don't wear any nice clothes or shoes because it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Elijah, you got some. All right, so uh, I'll just start this off with Reddit is a very weird place. Um, <laughs> I just, so some of these questions are a little weird. Some of them are really good questions. Um, probably the most popular thing uh, people want to know about is your hair. Uh, they want to know what products you use, how you how you got the center part, just anything to do with your hair. There's like six questions about that, so... You can just go on a rant about your hair. 
I'm looking at, I've got my mum's hair, not now, but I've got my mum's hair at the time. She had lovely, she had still got lovely hair. And it just used to fall naturally in a scent party for some unknown reason. But um, my favourite shampoo was Ola Yule. Remember that? They used to have, and I don't know how Macatea got into it where you wash his hair and flick it around and he got in there. Ginola got in there as well. Um, it was just something that stuck with me. As I said, I must be the only soccer player stroke football player that's got a song about his hair whether that says about my hair or my ability uh, you make your own mind up but uh, yeah it was just something that came along and uh, it was beautiful when it was flying down the wing and bobbing up and down and actually going in the wind and things like that it was sensational and the slow music they would use on Sky and we would run together me and John Berris we would run together in the end it'd be hair blonde hair but his was his was dyed as well little John he would dye his hair so he, uh, oh there we go yeah, he would dye his hair he was like a little hairdresser how so, long how long did Genola take to get ready Genola he was a very time he didn't want to rush anything I think yeah. he was like that in bed as well everything took his time it was, <laughs> it was, it was not quality no quantity it was, uh, quality, it was quantity and he used to take his time but he, when you're that good looking <laughs> yeah. I would keep in the mirror that long wouldn't you keep, real really oh, um, and then as I said then there were some ugly sods as well that yeah. they just go away from it but yeah the hair was a, a thing so whether that says anything about my ability I'll, I'll leave that to you <laughs> okay Um. Uh, here's one that's actually pretty interesting uh, it says um, the person's interested in how you went from playing slash coaching for Dagenham Redbridge in uh, 2005 uh, to being an LA Galaxy U18 coach in uh, 08. So talk about your transition into coaching. Yeah, I finished playing in 05, and uh, I actually started many, many years ago in 87 at Dagenham Redbridge. And how fate works, the guy, the coach, John Steele, who's very, very good coach at lower league level, um, was back at Dagenham and Redbridge, and I was just finishing my pro license at the time. I'd done my UA for A, done my B license. So to be the ultimate, the pro license, you had to be a professional club. Uh, and John allowed me to come down, and it was just going back home, you know, not like the Bron, but it was very similar going back to Dagenham and Redbridge and learning your trade and being able to do it. And um, I knew in the back of my mind, me and my wife and family, that we'd been to America on numerous vacations, from Cincinnati to Chicago to Seattle to New York. LA, we've been all over. Never been to Denver, actually, for another first time here. Um, yeah. yeah, it's fucking four foot of snow, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, it's always in the back of our mind to come, and um, I finished my pro license, and then in O, uh, I was doing a bit of work with, with Sky, with 0607, met someone from uh, Fox in 08, and the rest is history. We come out here on my pro license, I did some coaching, and as soon as I landed, there was a guy called Trevor James who does a lot in the USL level. I think he's coaching in Detroit at the moment at the academy. And he, uh, Jossie Sardes was there. He was the main player that had just started the academy, just started coming along. Funny how fate works. Rude Hullet was the manager of LA Galaxy and he fucked that up as well. So he was, uh, he was back the manager. So he left. He was spent most of the time on the golf course and on the bus. So he left and Bruce Arena walked in uh, and had a, a year there coaching. Um, but it wasn't how I wanted it to be in the sense that we would play local tournaments. I think it's LA Galaxy. We got to play against Chicago Fire. You've got to play Seattle Sound. It was more, because the country was so big, you're playing against teams in San Diego area, LA area, and I didn't think that was the right thing to do. But I enjoyed my time. It learned me a lot about the American system, the players, college, um, and it was good grounding for me. So I had a year, and then obviously Fox took off. We had the Premier League, the Champions League, so I was working five days a week. And it, uh, But it's always in the back of my mind, coaching, so it's maybe something in the future... I may go to, but I thoroughly enjoyed the, the Galaxy. It was a, it was an eye opener and an experience. 
And kind of sticking with uh, MLS, uh, kind of talk about you. You talked about coaching the academy and such. Um, this question says, how do you rate the growth growth of the MLS and the football together in the U.S., particularly in the lower divisions like USL? And additionally, what are Americans doing wrong in terms of growing the game beyond the usual pay-to-play uh, gripe that we always hear? Yeah, I've been involved not only in the academy. I was uh, in the USL league, which is LA Blues. Um, that was another experience. I only lasted there six weeks because the owner was it was he wasn't about soccer; it was about bringing players in, and it was a very difficult time. I've done club coaching as well, so I understand the pay uh, to play, which is mind blowing to me that these parents pay two thousand, three thousand dollars for their coach to get coached by a kid or a guy that's just got an accent. That doesn't never played the game. I'll tell you a quick story. I was in San Diego. We were moving into our house, and like anything, we've got all the boxes are being unloaded from our house. And my wife said, "Oh look, there's a there's a soccer camp going on. Let's send the kids there so we can unload the boxes." I said, "Okay, fine, it's a good idea." She drops the kids off. You pay your money for the camp. She comes back to me. Said, "Oh, there's a guy uh, that you might want to meet. Played in the Premier League. Played for England." Um, maybe pick up the kids. It might be my wife and I might be a friend of yours. I don't like people, so I don't really have a lot of friends. So I said, okay, we go to pick up my kids. They come running over. They're ten and eight at the time. This guy comes walking over with a, an English accent. Said, oh yeah, I really like your boy. I said, would you talk to my wife? He went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you played for England? He went, yeah, and played in the Premier League. I said, oh, did you? I said, who'd you play for? Oh, yeah. So he went, uh, Bristol City. So I went, they've never been in the Premier League. He went, yes, sir. I went, no, they haven't. And I said, you played for England? He went, yeah, yeah. I said, who did you play for? I said, I played for, lucky enough, I played for Terry Venables, Graham Taylor, I was in Glen Oddle's squad. He went, fuck. Said, so you never played, did you? He went, no, no, I went to college in Bristol, and I played for southeast of England, Bristol College team. So I said, you're telling my wife that you played for England and played in the Premier League, and you haven't. He went, yeah, but I've been here 15 years. Keep it quiet, they don't know. So that was my instance oh, of, of what it was like in the club scene. And that goes across all over uh, America, um, which is a shame. So that needs to be rectified. That people just because you've got an accent, uh, it's like me going back. Uh, it's like me going back to England and start doing baseball practice and saying, "Yeah, yeah, I played for the Padres and I played in the World Series and things like that." Which I never. So you know, that that has to stop. Um, again, like I said with the academy side, I think academy teams, MLS teams should play MLS teams. You see it in the Champions League where. Chelsea will play against PSV, so you have to play against your equal uh, opportunity. But I understand the, the country is huge. The coaching has to be better. I think that's the biggest thing, because how are the players going to get better if you can't? You're seeing that in the MLS now with better quality coaches coming through. Even the American... I'm, I have a great friend of mine, Eric Ronaldo, who I love to death, and, and Brad Friedel Fried, yes. as well. And you know, Eric's still got the mentality of... Because he played, he's a Hall of Famer. And rightly so, he knows the game, I understand, but... Why do I need a qualification where you've got Brad that played 20 years in the Premier League and played all over Europe? He went and studied and did his coaching life. So if both of them had that, then you've got two outstanding coaches that are in MLS and USL. Uh, so I think the coaches have to take responsibility to get qualifications. Because if, if my lights had gone in my house and I wanted someone to fix my uh, plumber or electrician, it wouldn't just come in and say, yeah, I'll, I think I know what I'm doing. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, uh, my dad showed me and he was an electrician, so I'll have a go at it. It blow my house up. So you, as a coach, and you're spending two, three thousand dollars for someone to coach your kids, and you're not qualified, then there's a problem. So I think that has to start. It is starting. Um, U.S. soccer are making big strides. I think now you're going to see USL one, which is another league where kids are coming out of college at 21, 22, not quite ready for USL, not quite ready for MLS, but too good for academy. So the structure's been going. In the last five years, the improvement 
that's been magnificent. There's been the facilities with the stadium. There's still areas to improve. Atlanta being the flagship. And I, I finished with Atlanta as well. The, it's becoming now a, a professional league when you buy a player and you sell him for more money than you bought him. And I think you've always had American players move on, whether it's been Brad, Tom, uh, uh, Tim Howard, Casey Keller, Brian McBride, Boca Negra, all of them. I can go on and on and on. But when you've actually gone out and bought a young player, you have him in your league for two years and then you sell him for a bigger profit, that's when you become attractive and become a league where you can compete because you're generating an income. It's not just homegrown players that they're selling on for, from that point. There's still room to improve, but the last three or four years have been tremendous. And uh, this one's from Facebook. Uh, it's been one of the last ones we do from uh, the Reddit slash Facebook questions. Uh, he said, uh, how often were you going to the tanning booth when you came to America and did you resent being called Tango? <laughs> I like to this is natural you know, I, I have an hour a day in the sunshine that's why I went to California so uh, no I do love the sun uh, there's no denying that uh, and being a true Englishman I don't go brown and tan I do go red like a lobster so um, but yeah I do like it I've got this feeling it makes you feel healthy so it, it, it's my little fix I don't drink I don't gamble so give me something that I do I love a bit I love a bit of sun so. that's why I come to Denver in, in February Mark Simon <laughs> but no all good it's, um, as I said I have a I always have a little hour in the afternoon, my little siesta, and I'm sitting there with my little speedos on in the sunshine. <laughs> Got my hair going. Whoa, there we go. They are little speedos as well. <laughs> and, uh, and this will be the last question, and uh, it's, it's pretty fitting to close on this. Uh, this is Michael from Facebook says, what was the highlight of your career, and what product did you use to achieve it? <laughs> old Spice <laughs> it never failed me a bit of Old Spice on your chest it's uh, a bit of brew you're too young you wouldn't know what brew was but, uh, no highlight of my career I was lucky because I got told uh, I told this story earlier at, at 13 and 16 you're too small you're not going to make it you're not good enough it was never not good enough you're too, too small and you know a few years later I'm playing in the Premier League I'm oh, representing my country so all of it I I understood what it was like to work at Arthur Anderson in the mailroom. I like to say I was a chartered accountant, but I was actually in the mailroom. Uh, so I loved every minute of it. And that's why I miss it. I miss every minute of it. Not that I'm depressed and I want to be back there, but it's the best career in the world and I loved it. And that's why the passion you see today when they, we score a goal, we hit the post, it, it gets into your soul and into your body. You can't understand why, uh, but it just once it gets you, you don't let go of it. But uh, yeah, uh, as I said, I loved it all. As I said, the Barcelona game, the representing your country, I think is the biggest. Uh, well, not I think it is the biggest honor you can have, and I was lucky enough to do that. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, that is going to conclude this episode. So I want to thank uh, thank you guys for coming out. Uh, thank Warren for coming out. Uh, thank Josh. Guinness, where's Guinness at? Thank you for coming out. Um, it, give us a follow at chn underscore radio, our main account at coming home NUFC. Uh, rate us on five stars. Do that. Like rate us, give us five stars on pretty much everywhere. It just allows us to get out there and get to more fans. So any any support that you can have, it takes like eight seconds for five star review and a little blurb. You can even say we suck. Um, but as long as you give us five stars, I don't care. <laughs> um, but thanks. Give Warren a round of applause, everybody. Thank you so much. I went to bleed in races, was on the 9th of June, 1862 on a summer's afternoon. I 
Oh, my God. 